What's up, everybody, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Bridging the Gap podcast. We've had a good little run-in with these podcasts over the last few months. I've been really, really enjoying them, getting them down. Lots and lots of good feedback from you guys, so I appreciate it a lot, tagging me in your stories and, and messaging me saying that you really enjoy the podcast. So really, really thank you. They're just going to keep coming. They're going to keep coming. Um, I hope you guys enjoy the new logo. I think it looks a little bit better, a little bit cleaner. Um, I've, I've, I've employed a almost like a, well, I say full-time, I've employed a graphic designer to graphic design for me um, and to kind of keep my branding consistent across across all of my platforms. So I've now got my Bridging the Gap, which you guys can see if you look at your screens. That nice squiggle circle represents um, mind and, and, and mental mental health. Um, there's, there's, there's a charity called Mind Charity that have a similar one. It's a squiggle, but it represents, you know, mental health. And, and that's what I wanted to go with it. And I wanted to be that bridging the gap between, between all things and everything, essentially, um, with a big, big touch on mental health and physical and well-being. And, and that's kind of where the logos come from there. I've also got my JBF Brigade logo, which is pretty similar, um, or, or similar scheme, should I say, which is for my coaching. And then I have my One More Rep logo, which is coming out soon. Um, which will be on a few little bits of clothing, but we're not going to go too much into that because it's still a little baby um, that I want to grow. Um, and then, of course, Josh Bishop Fitness. So I'm, I'm kind of just aligning branding across all platforms because while like po- my podcast is, is probably a little bit different from my Instagram and my Instagram a little bit different from my YouTube, they all still represent me, and I just wanted to get that consistency of branding across the board. I think this is something that you guys should look into if, if you are looking to develop your 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 medias, your social medias, and, and, and they might be slightly different, you know, even if they're not slightly different, you've got more, more reason to have consistent branding across everything, so it's something to think about, don't have one logo that's green, don't have one logo that's black, and think that they're going to, you know, compare and contrast, people need to see your colour scheme, or see your logo, and be like, oh, that's, that's for example, that, oh, that's Josh Bridges Bridging the Gap, you know, and that's what I hope to achieve with this, with this new logo, I really, really enjoy it, so let me know what you think about it, if you like it. Um, I've had some good comments on it. So let's jump into the Q&A, guys. I don't want to hold you waiting anymore. I'm sorry for any noises that you may pick up on this mic. Um, I'm pretty sure my, my, my voice would be the, the best thing on here. Um, but I've got the door slightly ajar. So if, if, it, if it gets too loud, let me know. And I'll, uh, well, yeah, it's not going to work, is it? <laughs> First question, if I was the only person to see my physique, would I still do it? Very, very good question. I think if, it's, if you're asking me that question right now, yes, I would, because the benefits that building my physique have brought me in terms of learning about patience, consistency, being fucking relentless are invaluable. And I'm now, I'm genuinely using the skills that I have acquired through prep and bodybuilding and pursuing my dream to my business now. And it's fucking working, I'm telling you. If I perform my business like I perform my bodybuilding, business goes up. And, and I think if you found something that you love, that you love and you can put everything into it, if you can put everything into it and for it to be a business, like you're onto a winner, man. Like your, your business will just not stop growing. When you, when you become obsessed with growing something or obsessed with developing something or just obsessed with something you're going to perform better than anyone else. So this got away from the question very quickly. If I was the only person to see my physique, would I still do it? Yes, I would. When should you add volume when training high intensity, low volume? Um, So this is based off my training. For those of you guys that don't know, I go off a very, very high RPE scale, which is a rate of perceived exertion. Um, I essentially go to failure 
but in going to failure, that compromises my recovery. So in having compromised recovery, my total work sets, which people tend to refer to as volume, have to be lower. So whereas most people can go in and do three, four, five sets, I can only go in and do one or two sets to all-out failure, really, really pushing the boundary. And those of you guys that think you go to failure and, and you're doing three or four sets, you're not going to failure. Come train with me. I promise you I will fucking make you throw up. Um, but in doing that, you've got to manage your volume and your recovery a lot better. And, and, and some people recover better. Some people recover worse. Some body parts recover better. Some body parts recover worse. For example, for me, my chest doesn't recover really, really well to really high volume. So actually, it's pretty damn low volume. And the same thing with my, with my back. But then my legs, they can actually handle a little bit more volume. So it's a process of learning this. My advice to you is to when, when you, when, my advice to you is to how you should work out whether you should add more volume is start with bare minimum, bare bones. Start with just one working set and like four exercises, you know, and then see what happens. Do you recover? Yes, great. Let's try two sets. Did you recover? Yes, cool. Let's try three sets. Did you recover? Oh, uh, I've, my progress was really, really hard this week and I actually got a few niggles. There you go. Pull back down. Go to two sets again. Uh, this is just random examples of going two to three, but, you know, you can, you can push that. And then if you think about where you're putting those extra sets. So yes, you could put them onto a compound exercise, but if you put those extra volume onto a compound exercise versus putting that extra volume onto an isolation exercise, you then need to consider your central nervous system fatigue. So while you're monitoring your actual muscle fatigue and how well you're recovering muscularly, you've also got to worry about how well you're recovering central nervous system-wise and your autonomic nervous system-wise. Because if I say, yes, we're going to push volume up this week, let's add two more sets onto your deadlift. It's going to fuck you. You know, two more sets to failure on your deadlift will fuck you. Whereas if I said, okay, cool, we're going to put two more sets onto your, you know, your chest supported single arm lat pull down, you know that you're going to just, it's like, it's not going to be crazy taxing on your body, like central nervous system, but it's going to be taxing to your muscles. So you've got to kind of consider those things when you're looking about adding your volume. So distinguish between central nervous system fatigue and, um, and muscular fatigue, push your muscular fatigue as much as possible push your central nervous system as much as possible um, and then you know when you find that point of diminishing returns workouts suck feel a little bit shit can't progress that's your that's your key that's that's your goal is this the biofeedback and telling you when when you can add more volume or less volume it's time for the godly sip i was deciding between having a, a french press coffee because some geezer off instagram sent me this big italian coffee press um, thank you, by the way, or a 3D energy drink, and I had to go to 3D. One, because the caffeine's a little bit higher. Two, because it tastes like a fucking ice cream, and I am starving, and a coffee was not going to hit the spot, so that's my decision. Josh, what is your utmost priority in life? My utmost priority in life right now is to build a empire that is going to facilitate the massive benefit to a massive amount of people while building the life I want for my family. That's a pretty good answer, I reckon, <laughs> if I do say so myself. Um, yeah, like, I want to build the life I want for my family. I'm not going to lie. You know, you guys know me. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you guys know me. I want to make money, and I, I want to make money, and I want to take my girlfriend away on experiences, and I want to experience this world. And it doesn't mean that 
I'm just chasing money and and trying to be rich and 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 obnoxious and all. I'm not like I'm gonna do my bit to to make this world a better place. And I think I do that in, with my videos and and the information I give and all that kind of stuff. But I will fucking want money and I want to I don't want to travel and I want to experience and I want to see new cultures and I want to see new things and I want to. You know, I want to go to Africa and fucking help people. Like, I want to do that shit, you know, but I can't do that without the money and the backing that I want. Like, I want to be a millionaire so that I can facilitate helping way more people. It sounds stupid because people are like, if you're a millionaire, give it away, help more people. Yes, but I actually think I'd have way more benefit in having that money and being able to put it in places to make it grow to help even more people. Um, but in, 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 in counteract that, obviously, I want to grow... I want to grow this empire. I want to grow this social media empire, and I want to become. I want to become the next big thing on YouTube. I want to be that four hundred, five hundred thousand YouTuber, but with real information that's changing people's lives. You know, I want to have this huge community of people with great information who are taking charge of their life and are changing things, and knowing how to change things. You know, because it's not hard. It's now like it's not, okay. It's, it's hard, but I now know it. You know. If I can teach you to know it, which I can, then it's not hard. You know, calorie surplus, calorie deficit, eat healthy, train hard, you know, do some cardio, focus on your health. It's, it's, you know, like, just once you master these things, I can teach you so much. And I, and I think, obviously, I'm an online coach, and I touch a lot of people that way, and I coach, you know, I coach a lot of people at the moment. And, yes, I get to talk to them every single day. Yes, I get to talk to them every single month and yes they make massive transformations and their life changes but in my opinion the 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 amount of people that I can touch as a coach versus as a social media online influencer is obviously tenfold in social media do you know what I mean like for the random numbers here I don't want to give up my numbers but let's say I've got a hundred clients I can talk to a hundred people a month you know but I put out one video and there's 20,000 views there's 20,000 people that are viewing that video that could take possibly what these what these clients could take as well and that's my goal is to grow both numbers as much as I can obviously with the coaching I want to keep it within so I can keep my quality of coaching high but with the social media there's no the sky is the limit I want to keep growing and growing and growing um so that I can facilitate those priorities in life and I think I think that's the reality of it and that's I hope, I hope that makes sense hope that doesn't I don't I don't want to come over as like I just want to be rich and famous I just I, I want to be wealthy comfortable making massive changes in this world, you know, massive changes, I've got big, big, big things for this world, and I'm not going to stop working until I get them, if you could go back to university, what would you study, so I studied um, criminology and social policy, I originally wanted to go into the police when I, when, I, when I went into university, because if you went into the police with a degree, you actually got fast track promotion and you didn't need to be on the beat as long, so I think you need to do two or three years on the beat. On the beat is, for those of you guys who are in America, is like walk the, the, the policeman that you'd see walking around, you know, on the streets, keeping things safe. You'd have to do that for a couple of years first before you could like go to officer, before you could get rankings up and stuff. But if you went in with a, with a degree, you could do like 12 months on the beat and then you could go up quicker. So I was like, oh, that's a pretty good idea. Police have great pensions, blah, 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 blah. But honestly, I had, a, I had a smaller town mentality before I went to uni. I'm from a very small town, a small village, and, and, and everyone's kind of everyone, and no one really travels anywhere, and everyone's kind of from the same area. And, and there's not a lot of growth mindset there. But when I went to uni, things my, my whole paradox just changed. My whole paradigm changed. I met people who had been traveling. I didn't have English friends. Like, they were all 
Arab, Australian, you know, God, Lebanese, like so many different countries. And they were all such open-minded people, forward-thinking people that it completely changed me as a person. And I went away from this, I want to be a policeman and, and get £50,000 pension too. I want to fucking take over the world and bring every fuck fucker with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're all like that. We're all just like, we're going to take over, but we're all coming together. Do you know what I mean? If one of us becomes a millionaire, we all become millionaires. You know, and we're going to do the world a good. And, and everyone had the best bones in their body, not a bad bone. Everyone focused on positivity and completely changed my life. Um, so... I'm not answering these questions very well. <laughs> if I could go back to uni, what would I study? Um, so obviously, I, I kind of fell off the criminology and social media, uh, social policy path. I didn't really enjoy it that much. There was definitely some interesting things. I did some forensics and stuff. It was quite interesting. But right now, it would definitely have to be like biomechanics, sports mechanics, nutrition. Anything to do with what I'm doing right now would have served me so much better. Um, at least as a platform to kind of boost myself a little bit more in terms of knowledge. Because now I'm going back and having to learn like, you know, like A-level biomechanics and then university biomechanics and then obviously high-level biomechanics. I'm having to go through that process again to start at the bottom to work up. Whereas if I'd just done the university biomechanics, I would already be leagues ahead of fucking 90% of this industry who don't even know what biomechanics are as an online coach. So I think that would have benefited me a little bit more. But you know what? It is what it is. I enjoyed my experience. I got what I got out of it. And I'm here now because of it. So I wouldn't change it. On to the next question. If I could train and converse... It's actually originally said five people, but five people is a lot. Um, so I changed it to two. <laughs> Sorry. If I could train and converse with two people, who would it be? So I actually put this on my... On my Instagram the other day after I trained with TM Cycles, it got me thinking when I was training with him. I thought, fuck me, I love training with this guy. Um, who else do I want to train with? And the two people that I put down, uh, one of them was Christian Guzman. A lot of you people are going, oh, fucking Guzman, you're a Guzman boy. He's like, you know what? Guzman was my first love in this industry. Guzman was the guy who I, who I idolized. And to be honest, he was the guy who want, made me want to be him. I genuinely, like, I still want to be him. Like, he is a fucking business mogul good fucking looking dude, you know, very, very creative, amazingly motivated. I, I think I think a lot of people in the fitness industry could have gone this way, but they just didn't because they didn't have, either the people around him, even the savviness, whatever it was that he had in this business mindset, he took the right path. You know, you look at the Matt Oguses and Chris Lovados and Scooby, the, all the old school fitness guys, none of them had a business brain. They're all gone now. They're all not necessarily gone, but they're all just quiet and, you know, they've earned their money and they're happy making their 30, 40 grand a year and and they didn't really progress. They didn't change. You know, we was, I was talking about this yesterday with Brandon and, and they haven't got better. And if you look at Guzman, every single fucking year, he got better and better. Content got better. His knowledge got better. His business presentations got better. His business grew. Every single thing grew. Um, and I'd love to be able to talk to him. He's, he's younger than me. And he is a multi-multi-millionaire. He earns over £200,000 in affiliate marketing. Sorry, $200,000 in affiliate marketing every single month. It's yeah, a million every five months. Like I said a couple of podcasts ago, probably quite a while actually, um, one of the questions was like, why the fuck do you follow Jake and Logan Paul? The same reason I follow Guzman, the same reason I follow Brandon, the same reason I follow Mike Diamonds. It, anyone who can be successful in, in what they do, regardless of their attitude, 
regardless of how they conduct themselves or how they've got there, they've got a key and they've got knowledge that you can learn from. It doesn't mean it's the way that you're going to get there. It just means that it could be a way that you could get there. You know, for example, I'm not going to go out and be Logan Paul and fucking spend loads of money on this and be stupid and be silly, but that's his niche and he's fucking owned it. And just to be able to understand how he's killed his niche and now he's expanding, obviously he's doing podcasts and stuff. Obviously you guys probably don't follow him, but from a business perspective, you can learn so much from these people by following their moves. And the same thing with Brandon, like seeing his maturity happen over the years, seeing how he's changed, seeing how he's conducted himself, seeing how the creativity's changed, seeing how much he thinks about thumbnails and this and that. Like you can learn something from everyone. And for me, Guzman would be the one person I'd want to sit down and just probe and ask and ask and just see how he's developed things. Him or Max Tuning. Um, Max Tuning, because I, I really, really like his stuff. But I'd, I'd, I'd love to just talk to him and explain and, and, and listen to how he went from a little square space the size of the room that I'm in with a dumbbell and a bench press and a lap pull down and how he grew it into the empire that he's got right now because I'm trying to do that, you know, and, and to be able to talk to someone who's walked the walk, it kind of saves you taking some steps and it saves you making mistakes that he probably took, you know, so it'd be really, really nice to sit down and talk with him. The next person I wanted to train with and converse with was Flex Lewis. I think he's an absolute gentleman. I think he's an ambassador for this sport that everyone should be. Um, he, never can, he never fell into that role of being the bad guy. He never fell into the role of anything but professionalism. And he was himself the whole time. And not only that, I think it would be absolutely awe-inspiring to see someone that big, that unbelievably gifted um, train and just see his body. I'd love to just watch his body. It's what I fell in love with, you know. I fell in love in looking at these people. I didn't fall in love with training with them. I didn't fall in love with watching them eat. I fell in love at looking at these people and thinking, wow. You know, I used to look at Arnie training videos and be like, wow, look at him. When he did that bicep, wow. You know, like that's what I fell in love with. And I think, I think Flex Lewis would be a wow <laughs> to train with. Also his knowledge. Um, but I think just being in that around that that professionalism would be amazing. I could definitely think of three more people, but I think those are two great people for two different reasons. Um, how to bust through plateaus. So I actually did a full podcast on breaking through plateaus, so I'm not going to go crazy into this. Um, there's, there's a few questions I've done full podcasts on this before, so you have to go hunt it down, but I'm pretty sure that how to bust through plateaus was the title of the podcast, so just scroll through, you'll see like plateaus and just click on that one and listen. But busting through plateaus, you need to identify why the plateau is there um, and what the plateau is. So I'm just going to use training as an example, but this could be like a weight thing. It could be anything like that. So take it with a pinch of salt. Um, let's so if you're, if you're at a plateau of training, you've got to consider how long have you, have you been training too long? Have you been running things for too long? Do you need a deload? Answer that question first. Um, how well have you been sleeping? You've been sleeping poorly, answer that question first. How well have you been hydrating, nutrition? How well have you been managing your recovery? Have you changed anything? Have you just suddenly started doing way more, um, which is why you can't plateau? Are you doing too much? Um, there's a lot, a lot of things to consider um, in terms of breaking through plateaus because if, every, if everything's not 100%, if you're not tracking every single variable, then do it and watch the plateau not be there. Um, and then if it is still there and you're tracking everything, you know, it's probably that you need a deload, you've got to build up a fatigue and you just need a little bit of a rest. But until you're tracking everything, until you can sit there and say, you're monitoring your protein, you're monitoring your nutrient timing, you're monitoring your sleep, high HRV, blood glucose, blood pressure, hate, uh, resting heart rate, 
you probably can't say you're at a plateau because you've got things that you can do to get over it. So that's something to consider. Mini cuts, when and how. Um, I've also done a podcast on mini cuts, so again, same thing. Um, but very, very briefly, mini cuts when. Um, you would mini cut when you get to a point of diminishing returns in the bulk. So if you start noticing, call it vi- like in the visceral area, visceral fat coming on, this is like belly button fat, hip fat, noticeably like hanging fat rather than just like, okay, I've gained a little bit of thickness there. Like thickness is a little bit different than than, than like, I call it like real fat, you know, like when it looks like fat and you could like jiggle it and wobble it. Like I think when you get to that point, it's a little bit more um, diminishing returns because you are a higher predisposition to estrogen related side effects. You're a higher predisposition to gaining body fat over muscle. Um, if you're kind of too high body fat, your resting heart rate, blood, blood glucose and your blood pressure will probably be a little bit out of whack and not as optimal. Cardiovascularly, you're probably not as efficient. Um, your digestion might be poorer, your recovery and your sleep might be poorer. So these are all things that you can track in terms of your biomarkers to see when you need a mini cut. Um, and you wouldn't need a mini cut unless you've been in an off season for a very long time or if you fucked your off season. And if you fuckers out there, if you fucked your off season and you're really, really fat really, really quickly and you need to mini cut, well, there you go. But it shouldn't be for a long time into your, into your, into your off-season, um, you'd basically be noticing fat come on quicker than ever, maybe not progressing as much as normal, digestion, sleep a little bit poorer. Those are your main four that you'd go for, but there are a few other things that you can track and preempt, like HRV and stuff. Um, you'd then just pull down pretty harshly. For example, you're on 4,000 calories, you're getting pretty fat. I would literally pull to 3,000 calories and bring in like three lots of cardio, 30 minutes. You'd expect a big five to six pound drop that first week, and you'd go for anywhere between two to three pounds loss a week. Um, and you'd go until you see fit. Um, I've had people on mini cuts for 10 weeks, so I guess it's less of a mini cut and like a medium cut, but I've also had people do it for four weeks and they've just dropped like a sack of shit. So you've got to determine what kind of person you are, how quickly you drop, all these different things um, to put a set time on it. I mostly don't put a set time on it. I mostly say, okay, cool, we're going through a priming phase right now. You're going to need the next four to 10 weeks. And I give them that six-week time frame that six-week difference, and they say, why is it such a big difference? I'm like, because you might not lose it. Your body fat, your body might not play ball, you know, so we've got to give that wider, and then as soon as we kind of go through it, you can see how the body's responding. You can see how long's left, and you can see. And you would basically just pull down pretty fucking aggressively until you feel like you're in a position where you can come back up, and then you just reverse that back up. Okay, mouth's a bit dry. Sit time. Oh, my God. Every goddamn time. How many exercises per body part per week and when to change them? So much like much like um, when to add your training volume, there's no way for me to say how much training volume you should do. And it always, always just start low. Um, anywhere between six and ten sets a week on everything. You could probably push that a little bit higher, but again, it depends on your recovery. Um, so based off your recovery you would just decide how many exercises per body part. But roughly speaking, if I give you my example, let's take my chest example, I would do two sets on um, like an isolation to warm up. I'll do two sets. I'll do four sets on two big presses. I would then do another two sets. So that would be eight sets on my chest um, that I would do um, nearly twice a week. So I'd probably end up on about 14 to 16 sets per week. Um, and then you just adjust from there. Um, but again, like that's for me, you know, start low, start on 10 sets a week, 
try to get to 12, try to get to 14, and just wait to that point where you can't recover and, and then make a decision. How often would you change? I personally don't change my training programs for about 10 to 14 weeks. Um, that's generally the time that I build up fatigue and accumulate that kind of exercise fatigue, um, and then you change. You've got to remember you need to develop neurological adaptation to the movement, um, and that can take two or three weeks. And then once you've got that neurological adaptation, which is essentially learning the movement pattern, your brain saying, okay, I know what's happening now. So if you, if you, for example, if you go to a barbell or a dumbbell for the first time that you've, for a long time, you'll feel just wobbly, you know, your rotator cuffs are thinking what's going on, all your stabilizers are shaking. You're essentially just training that movement for the first couple of weeks to get all those stabilizers stable. And then you start to progressively overload into the, into the muscle that you want. And you're going to get a lot more benefit than just constantly swapping. Because if you constantly swap, you never get that ability to learn the movement and that ability to neurologically adapt to the movement. So make sure you spend some time doing these movements. And honestly, like, you don't even need to pull it out after 10 to 14 weeks. If things are still moving, you're still bullying weight onto it, you don't, you don't need to change that stuff. So I wouldn't worry too much. Um, you could just change the structure slightly. But again, it, it, I've got to be generic because I don't know who you are, how long you've been training, this, this, this. So I've got to be a little bit more generic. How long will my off-season be? My off-season is probably just going to be as long as it needs to be. Um, I'm obviously going to be bulking with drugs this time, like a proper bulk, not a 250 milligram testosterone bulk, like a, you know, fucking insulin and growth hormone bulk, so I can actually get, like, massive. Um, so I honestly don't know. I don't know whether I'll compete next year. I don't know whether it will be the year after. Um, I just, I'm not even worried. I need to sit down and talk to my coach after this competition, but at the moment I have my blinkers on, my tunnel vision on for this competition. I'll worry about an off-season after. I've got too much... Too much in my head at the moment to think about an off-season. Um, but as soon as that day is over, the, the, the switch gets flicked to off-season. And then that's it. And I'm ready to fucking grow. So we do it. When ensuring a caloric surplus and I don't have any food, should I put a chocolate bar in? Okay. Um, my question to you is, where are you getting the chocolate bar? If the answer is a shop, which I expect it probably is, my response is, you can get something better than that. Um, unless it's like 90% dark chocolate and pretty decent for you, you don't need a fucking chocolate bar. You can find a protein bar. You can find some rice cakes. You can find some chicken. You can find something else that's going to serve you better in terms of health. Um, if you want a little bit of balance in your life, go ahead and have a chocolate bar. I'm not, I don't really care. Um, but if it was me, I'm just going to be from my experience, um, I wouldn't be buying a chocolate bar. I would, there'd be something else there. You know, there's no way that you're ever in a situation where you only have a chocolate bar. If you are, there's no reason why you can just not eat until you can eat. And if you do eat it, it's probably not the end of the world. Um, so I wouldn't worry crazy amounts. But great question. Thank you. Um, how do I stay with the same mindset? This is a big thing that I've had recently because obviously I'm very fucking motivated. I, I know what I want. I'm, I'm blessed enough to say that I have found what I want to do and I would say that is why my motivation stays the same because I am confident in who I want to be. I am confident in what I want to do. I have a vision and I'm going for it. Um, I didn't have a vision for 25 years. I say 25 years. I didn't even know what I was doing at one, one, two and 10 years old. I've, I, I've, I've been doing this, this industry for the last five, six years and it's only been when I went full-time online coaching in October last year that I thought, this is my fucking vision. Let's do it. Let's work. 
you know? I didn't even know what that was, and it's okay to not know what it is. I came out of uni scared, crying. I was crying every day when I came out of uni because I didn't want to go into the real world. I didn't want to get a job. I didn't want to work. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had horrible anxiety because I didn't know what to do every single day. I'd wake up and be like, what do I do? How do I look for a job? I don't want this job. I don't want to sit in an office. I don't want to do... And I did that for a year. You know, I did my master's. I did three or four months of my master's and I thought, I don't want to do this. So I stopped and I had like eight months of doing nothing because I was, I technically had still paid for the master's. So I was at uni still for that year because I paid for my accommodation and I paid for everything like that. So I did eight months of nothing without any qualifications. And during that eight months, it was just anxiety every day. What do I do when I wake up? What do I do here? What do I do there? You know, and it was horrible. Um, and, and, and honestly, the savior of my mindset was finding what I wanted to do and finding what I love. So my advice to you is to find what you love. And I promise you, you wouldn't even ask that question. Um, I think a lot of people who ask about motivation and how you stay motivated and how you stay disciplined, they've not found that fire inside, um, which is fine because I didn't have a fire for fucking ages. I've had fires, um, but they went out. And this one, this one is roaring high. So my advice is not necessarily go out and look for something that you want to do because um, you'll find the motivation, but just be aware that you might not have just found your calling right now. You might not have found that thing that just lights your fucking fire. Um, and if you have and you think that you're not, you're not moving towards it, pull your fucking finger out, you know? No one's working for you. No one's going to get to that dream that you're thinking about in your head every day. Pull your finger out, start putting some things in places, and move towards it. There you go. Do I work up to my top sets and back offs, or how many back off sets do I do? Yep, so I always, always warm up. I will prime, um, which will kind of neurologically adapt myself to the session. For example, when I'm doing pull, I'll do some pullovers, I'll do some retractions, some thoracic extension. Um, I will then warm up in the movement, and I'll just like, for example, if I'm doing three plates on the incline bench press. You know, I'm gonna start with one plate, put another plate on, put a half plate on, and then I'm ready to go. Um, and I'll always progressively go up there um, in time. Um, and then, yeah, I normally just do one back off. Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm at this moment in time where, where volume is really pretty low, um, just for like safety, kind of muscle retention, don't wanna waste too much energy or volume. Um, so I'm kind of in a decent place in terms of low volume. So I only do one back off. Um, but as I move into the off season, I'll definitely add extra back offs here and there. But as I said earlier on in the, in the podcast, I've got to be careful of where I add those back offs onto. For example, adding onto an isolation versus a, a compound. The compound's obviously going to tax me more. So you would have to think about where I place the extra volume. But um, yeah, I always warm up and I always tend to have one or two back offs. I wouldn't have three. It'd be, it'd be too much. Um, I'm having trouble sleeping in a deficit. <laughs> Any tips? Me too. Me and you both, brother. Um, so if you think about a deficit, we are calor calorically restricting ourselves. You should be pretty all right for the first like few months or whatever. But when you get to that point where your body's like, yeah, okay, we're, we're, we're good now, bro. Can you stop? But you keep pushing, you keep pushing. If you think about all of your body as a system and it has all of these different systems to regulate and, and, and prioritize 
of course at the top is like heart and brain, right? So it, it will definitely have a hierarchy of importance. I don't know what the hierarchy is, but there will be a hierarchy of importance. You know, brain health, lung, organ health, whatever it is. And then as you come down, it'll be things like sex drive, sleep, da-da-da, da-da-da. And inevitably, because you're restricting so much, your body has to put more focus on the most important things like brain health, functioning, leave, uh, breathing. So you kind of pull away energy or focus or ability to do the things that might not be as important. I'm throwing up quotation marks because this is just the way I'm thinking. So for example, in my opinion, the reason why sex drive drops in an off-season uh, sorry, in a in a competition season, it's not necessarily because your testosterone drops. Like my testosterone is fucking high, right? What it actually is is because stress rises, um, your body's ability to perform its daily system tasks decreases, so it needs to put more focus into those things, and it will take away the focus from things that aren't necessarily important for life. For example, sex. I don't, like I don't need to get horny when. My body's like, no, 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 we need to focus on breathing. We need to focus on heart health, all this stuff, if that makes sense. So there's, I think there's a hierarchy um, to these things. Um, so your ability to alleviate the hierarchy, alleviate the stress becomes your, your best tool for you know, managing things like sleep. So for me, sleep needs a few things that we can break down and we can, we can give tips on. So your heart rate needs to, needs to drop. Um, heart rate drops like 20% when you, when you sleep, especially in deep sleep. Your body temperature needs to cool. Your breathing rate needs to slow. So those three things have to happen in order to sleep. So if we think about heart rate, if you're taking fat burners, if you're taking things like Tren, obviously your heart rate is going to be baselined higher, so it's going to be harder to sleep. Um, so anything that you can do to kind of take that edge off, for example, I obviously take Clen at the moment, so I'll kind of take a um, Insight Supplements Restore, which has ashwagandha and magnesium in it, which can really, really help slow your heart rate and, and bring you into a parasympathetic nervous system because obviously with a higher heart rate, you tend to be pushed more into that sympathetic tone um, where, you know, fight or flight adrenaline is high. And obviously just being hypersympathetic the whole time is not ideal, which is why you don't want to run fat burners all the time. Um, so in doing that... Um, if you're not taking fat burners or anything, just something simple like meditation can actually help twofold. One, meditation we know can bring your heart rate down significantly very, very quickly. But it's also going to bring your breathing rate down, which is one of those three things that needs to happen for, um, for a good sleep. So meditation, I'm telling you, 10 minutes of just slow breathing before you go to bed, you're going to be out like a light. <laughs> you Literally, you'll be out like a light. So just take some time before bed, breathe, slow down your breathing, six to eight breaths per minute. Your heart rate will drop. To be honest, your body temperature will probably drop, uh, but also your breathing rate will drop, which we know needs to happen. Temperature, creating a draft, get a fan on, have a hot shower before bed. Um, all of these things can help. Um, those are like kind of physical things. Also things like um, blue light blockers. Um, I recommend RA Optics. Use Josh 10 for discount. Um, they are some amazing blue light blockers. They have day ones that you can do. Um, and also night ones. We know that blue light has a massive impact on serotonin release. Um, it can inhibit serotonin release, which me, uh, sorry, melatonin release, excuse me, um, which we know is like a sleep hormone, which can help us feel sleepy and drowsy. So if we are constantly taking in blue light, for example, our laptops, our phones, how many people sit on their phone before bed, you know, you're literally getting a dose of blue light, which is inhibiting your melatonin, which is stopping you from having that ability to fall asleep as easy. So you've got to consider with that, um, 
the blue light and stuff. But RA Optics do some amazing, amazing glasses. They're pretty trendy as well. It's those orange glasses that you see people have. Um, but you can also put things like Flux on your phone and your laptop. So try things like that. Um, but I've, got, I've also got a YouTube video on my sleep. So check out the YouTube video. I hope those things helped. Let me know. If I could only train legs once a week, how many sets would I do? As much as I physically could um, until I could repeat that session. Easy. What made me get into the industry in the first place? Good question. So, Guzman, really. Um, I obviously have always been sporty. I've always played rugby and football. And, and actually, when I was in Gloucester Academy, uh, a, a rugby academy, a pretty pres prestigious rugby academy, um, when I used to play there, um, we did some gym training. A lot, a lot of it was more Olympic lifting and, and obviously functional strength for body uh, for rugby players. Um, but I kind of just fell in love with the training there. And, and, and that was the period of time when YouTube was starting to boom and I kind of got into YouTube. And actually, it was just the fitness YouTubers that I wanted to be. I didn't want to be a Mr. Olympia or anything like that. Um, so, you know what? Guzman, my ogus, those are the guys that got me into this. On to the final few questions. Um, how do you feel about the potential de deleterious cognitive effects from um, ASU? So, we know that uh, anabolic androgen steroid use can have a cognitive effect. Obviously, the stronger ones are going to have uh, more of a cognitive effect, and they can decrease your white matter um, in your brain, which is, it's, it could be, I think it's associated with your reaction time. You know what people say, roid rage. Well, there's actually something in that. You kind of de it basically decreases your reaction time, so your, your predisposition to reacting to things is quicker. Even things like light and, and like loud noises can increase um, from using steroids. And, 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 and it's just part of, it's part of the risks. Like, I know the risks. A lot of people ask me, what do I think about hair loss? What do I think about not being fertile? Like, it's part of the risks. I've thought about the risks, and it's just the risks that I'm taking. So it's just the question that you've got to answer yourself as well. Um, I know that I might be there at 30, 35 with heart problems. I know that I might be there with kidney and liver problems, brain problems. I know that is a possibility, but I'm, I'm confident in the fact that I don't think it's going to happen because of the way that I'm managing things and, how, and my five-year plan as such. Um, but you never know. I'm walking a dangerous game, um, and I've just got to play it the way, the way that I can, the best that I can. Um, so yeah. When cutting on 2,500 calories, is it better to eat 2,700 and do 2,200 through cardio, or eat 2,500 minus the calories from cardio? Good question. So I answered this really, really briefly on on another question on another podcast. So really, really briefly. Reduce your calories to a point where you can feel that you can still be productive in the gym and then introduce cardio. Simple. As soon as you take away from that ability to perform in the gym, we take away not only our muscle retention, but also massive calorie output. You know, if, as soon as training performance starts to drop, think about how much your heart rate drops, think about how much output drops, think about how much, you know, your calorie equation changes, you know, as soon as that performance drops. So, Focus on keeping performance as high as you can the whole way, and then just use cardio to kind of push a little bit further into it. Um, let me go into these last questions. Deeper information on fertility. I don't really know about fertility and bodybuilding in depth. Um, I just know that the moment that you put a needle in your bum may be the last time that you have the ability to have kids. Is the chance high? Probably not, but it may happen. Last question. Fasting post-fasted cardio, Yohimbine, or post-AM workout, terrible idea. Uh, so I actually tend to fast a little bit post 
um, your himbine anyway, because there's a little bit more time on your himbine, um, which can just help a little bit more with the lipolysis, having a little bit more time doing that. Um, post, post-workout, like it depends how long. I wouldn't go more than like two hours post-workout um, fasting. But otherwise, dude, like you don't need to worry about you know, shoving a shake in your mouth and eating a meal straight away and, and all this kind of stuff post-workout. Like, as long as you're getting your nutrition over the day and over the week, you you know, nine times out of ten, you're absolutely sound. So you just got to be considerate of that. That's it, guys. That's all the questions. We've got 40 minutes of questions there. It's pretty damn good. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying these episodes. Please, please, please drop a like, drop a comment. Um, wait, this is not YouTube. Please drop a rating on the channel, share it with your brothers, sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, and family. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Peace and love. Speak to you all soon.